inside game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Morahan, and my brother J.S. to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and yeah, we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Today we introduce Donkey Do What Donkeys Do. I do. Part 4. Previously, I had promised to bring into focus a naive Frenchman, a donkey, a court of law, a gardener, and Bridget Bardot. And we really are gaining on it. We really are. And I intend to enter into the calculus of our discussion each of these above-referenced factors. But I need, I need a bit more time. Sometimes there, sometimes there are advantages in not being direct. And let me, let me give you an example. I remember from my reading um, that during uh, and even long after the Second World War, best-selling British author Graham Greene, uh, he served as a spy for British intelligence. And, and given that Greene was a best-selling author of spy thrillers you know, that involved scenes that were set in exotic locations all over the globe, being an author was a perfect cover for Green, who could claim that travel was necessary for research, for authenticity purposes, you know, to, to get the details and the local color right for his next thriller that could be stationed anywhere. You know, or maybe he really was actually someplace engaged at that particular moment doing work for British intelligence. I mean, nobody knew. Nobody knew. In any event, at one point in time, Graham Greene's code name was something like the eunuch. Repeat, the eunuch. And why such an odd handle as the eunuch? And no, nobody seems to know. And I don't know if anybody ever knew. But it's one of those oddities of life, you know, spycraft stuff anyway. But at one point in time, the eunuch really did have to confirm one way or the other to British official intelligence. You know, there, he had a response to their inquiry as to his ability to meet up at an exact time on a given date at a precise location with a certain intelligence contact. And a yes or no answer to that inquiry was it was all that he needed to provide. You know, that's all that was expected by the British intelligence services. And, and they needed the answer from the eunuch promptly, you know, as one can imagine. It's wartime. They need to know, yes or no, can you be there? But Graham Greene, a man whom could drink anyone at any time under a table and who himself would show no ill effects of his prodigious consumption of hard alcohol. Well, Graham Greene, the eunuch, saw the humor in communicating his response that was needed so urgently, you know, establishing the fact clearly that he would be unable, unable to make the meet by telexing his coded response to his intelligence contact as per the appropriate channels. But rather than saying no, his response was, as the eunuch, 
I confirm I cannot come. Repeat, I cannot come. Now, British humor, <laughs> being, being what it is, it's unclear to me that British intelligence would have found the eunuch's response to its inquiry, clever as it may have been, all that amusing. Though I, though I would suggest to you that Winston Churchill, who just loved spycraft, uh, all kinds of counterintelligence stuff, and given his appreciation for language, Churchill might have found Green's communique of sardonic enough wit, sufficient to warrant a brief smile even from the PM during wartime. So while you await the appearance of the donkey, the French man, Bridget Bardot, I hope you can appreciate that these deviations from the main argument of our story, and that you'll recognize that they're not totally orthogonal to our storytelling. As, as the, the, the author, Samuel Beckett, wrote once of waiting for Godot, simply by my, by, by, the, by my estimation, the worst book I have ever read in my entire life. We too, right now, await the appearance not of Godot, <laughs> we wait the appearance of Bridget Bardo. Hmm. Now, we had been discussing in our last episode the unlikely subject of amphiators pursuing arachnid rights, the rights of spiders, a topic which on mere mention, once again, not only just pisses me off, but it actually makes my skin crawl in any event. MPA era, you know, forget war all human suffering, we only care about maltreated, mistreated spiders. Forget child abuse, random death, genocide. We demand spider abuse be ended today or else we will hound you to death, you greedy bastard Hollywood movie studio exec moguls you, unless and until you do the right thing. Yield to us and concede to us exactly what we want. Increased rights and protections for spiders. <laughs> I mean, to me, this just seems so nutty in a world in which millions die every year. Human beings die. Well, for your information, the movie, movie moguls, they surrendered. Movie productions today are required to conform to numerous regulations established to as, so as to ensure the humane treatment of all insects, including spiders, on a movie set. I have to ask, is the world a better place today for all the insect and spider safety laws that we put in place? Well, you can judge for yourself. I mean, you tell me. Myself, I can only add that while I have been working on my notes for this podcast alone, whether you think it's good or bad, maybe 15 to 20 human beings in Chicago will have been shot over the last couple of days. Does anybody care? You know, to quote that famous song, does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody know with precision just how many more spiders are alive today in Hollywood than otherwise might have been had it not been for the absolute devotion demonstrated by committed, kooky, insect right 
activists through their dedicated efforts over the years? No. The answer is just blowing in the wind, I guess. But no doubt, it must be substantial. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own worlds. Hmm, I've heard that before. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? That too once was once thought a important question worthy of resolution. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? How many spider lives can be saved? Well, it is safe to say unequivocally now that a film such as Kingdom of the Spiders would not make it off the drawing boards today due solely to the emergence and growth of an intricate legal framework that has been established to ensure spider rights are protected in Hollywood. I mean, I got to ask you, is California better off for that effort? I mean, really? Have you been to San Francisco lately? What about downtown LA recently? And don't forget to bring your poop mask and bulletproof vest when you go. But no, no, that spiders thrive in La La Land thanks to the work of a great many female MPAers who have devoted their worthless lives to the cause of insect activism. One step over the line, sweet Jesus. One step over the line. That, By the way, that, that 1977 Kingdom of the Spiders film even motivated... <laughs> I mean, again, priorities, priorities, priorities. That 1977 Kingdom of the Spiders film even motivated the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals to jump on board, to expand its horizons and enter the fray. And it expended energy and financial resources to demand the regulation and legislation that's required to ensure the humane treatment of spiders and other insects on Hollywood movie sets and locations. I shit you not. Now, if only the ASPCA would demonstrate, say, an equal amount of attention be paid, you know, energy ex exerted, money invested in the effort to ensure the safety and well-being of, say, the three million or so human beings that now reside locked up currently in our U.S. prison system where they are subject 24-7 to the horrors of ungodly amounts of violence, mayhem, gang rape, and murder. But as such, you know, inmates are only human beings. Reduction of their pain and suffering is far, far less important to animal and insect activists. I mean, I find this empathic mismatch very strange, very strange indeed. But as, as I mentioned before, Thucydides told us 2,500 years ago, albeit in a much different context, the strong do what the strong will do, and the weak must bear what the weak must bear. And what is most objectionable, what is most dangerous about most extremists is not that they are extreme, but that they are most intolerant. There is no compromise in the hearts, minds, or souls of these lunatic extremists. They are right, we are wrong, and we must yield. I mean, I mean, it's scary, as we're going to see soon. I, I don't want to close this aspect of our discussion by adding one... You, you know what? I do want to end this aspect of our discussion 
by adding one four forecast. I would have thought just an insane thing to say, an insane supposition only maybe 10, 15 years ago, but no longer. It's my belief that in the course of my lifetime, some wigged out environmental activist group might likely step forward and begin to lobby for legislation protecting the rights of viruses and bacteria to life. Whether they be lethal to human beings or not, they are entitled to live on. And that human beings... Our efforts to eradicate these life forms be prohibited based on the insane, misguided belief that they are living organisms and man has no right to commit genocide upon any living organism found in nature. That humans have no superior right to life and need to learn to live alongside all of nature's living organisms. Now, you, you, you may determine that this idea, you may believe this idea to be ludicrous, absurd even, and until recently, I would have agreed with you. Any such an absurdist prediction to have been pure, unadulterated nonsense. But now I am no longer convinced that rationality amongst these environmental extremists of all stripes, it knows any logical bounds whatsoever. You know, here lie dragons, as medieval maps used to, you know, used to state. And as I had earlier suggested, there, there does seem to be some evident cross-wiring in the interior insular cortex, you know, part of the brain of, of these whom express more empathy for the well-being of tarantulas than is stimulated by the suffering endured by man, woman, child, human beings. There also appears to exist a fair amount of hypocrisy in this cohort of, of primarily female MPAers. And be, before condemning me as a toxic male to be despised, as Don Henley once said, I think it's time we get to the heart of the matter. It is time we speak of that native Frenchman, the donkey, the court of law, the gardener, and Bridget Bardot, and we will do so immediately, I repeat, and I promise, immediately upon beginning our next episode of Donkey Do, What Donkeys Do, Adieu, Part 5. So let us end on this thought. Voltaire, <laughs> Voltaire got it right a long time ago when he said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And I'll add, or at least will try, to demonstrate that Voltaire knew what he was talking about. Here it comes. Next episode. Here comes Bardo. Bye-bye. <music>
did I do? Have I ruined my life? Tell her I've changed, become a new man. I promise I will, and I know that I can. When did the skies change? When did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back? The sea's now boiling and I'm getting cold. I've lost my sails, got to find a way home. Alone in my boat, I think of my wife. I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life. From tomorrow, days from the land. Nothing can save me unless fate lends a hand. Storm, it is worse than I no control. The wind and the waves are taking their toll. I look to the stars, there's none I can see. I'm afraid fate, she has answered me. Only moments my story will end. And there was a story I wanted to send. Oh, how I dream for the calm of the sea. A beautiful face smiling back at me. The sea is boiling and I'm getting cold. I've lost my sails, got to find a way home. When did the skies change? When did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife. I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life. When did the skies change? When did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat. I think of my wife I'm lost in a drift on the